Hey Church of the Beloved, my name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. I wanted to give a quick update on the status of our sermon podcast. As we move from the separate campuses model back to a single unified church, we will be discontinuing separate podcasts for downtown, South Loop, and Wicker Park. Starting in August, we will be retiring the South Loop and Wicker Park podcasts and we will rebrand the downtown podcast as the primary Church of the Beloved sermon podcast. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with our sermons each week. You can find the podcast on most podcast platforms, and there's also a link on our website at cotb.life messages. God bless and have a great week. For those of you who are joining us online, uh, uh, welcome and good morning. Uh, and for those of you who are here in person, wow, thank you so much. For, it's so good to see all of you here. Um, I want to mention this today at the end of service, if you're not aware of this, we're going to be inducting new members into our church family. And I'm so excited about this. Maybe uh, it's because of, in spite of, I don't know, the pandemic has caused women and men within our community to decide to enter into a a commitment to the church and for, to allow the church to enter into a commitment with them. And so we're going to enjoy that opportunity uh, afterwards. And, and for those of you who are here, all of you are invited to join us for lunch so that we can uh, celebrate together. If you're tuning in for the first time, or maybe you're here for the first time, my name is Abe. I'm the pastor here. and am um, the interim to the interim pastor right now. And beloved, we believe that the church is so much more than just this building, this gathering of people. So we want to get you connected to our family, our church family. So you can either text COTB to 97000. You can go to cotb.life, tap on the connect with us button, or talk to somebody with a blue lanyard or come chat with me. I'd love to get you connected to a small group or other ministries here. Before we get deeper into this, I'm going to ask if you would join with me in prayer. Let's pray for the message today. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity, for the space for us to gather together for the sake of your beloved children, for your beloved citizens. May the words of my mouth forever be a conduit of your truth alone, God. May this time be enlightening to your beloved children. May it be satisfying to you, God. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So, um, some of you may know this, I was born and raised uh, in Chicago. I grew up on the north side. I grew up in an area, a community called West Ridge, or uh, also known as Little India. That's where I came from. And I remember spending all my time, free time, playing in the street, because that's where you play. With my friends in the neighborhood, we'd, I would go to a Warren Park. There was a sledding hill in the summertime where we'd just roll down with our bikes, almost killing ourselves. Summer in Chicago, if you've not experienced it yet, it is hot and humid. So I ended up reading a lot because I would just spend all my time in the Northtown Library where there's AC. And it was, you know, my parents didn't like turning it on at home. I'm a, I'm a Chicago kid. I'm a Chicago kid where playgrounds are made of asphalt and bats are basically whatever stick you can find lying on the ground. And the best way and the only way to get around was either by bike or by bus. And I kind of take pride in this. Uh, status. It, 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 but at the same time, I don't think about it too much because it's just who I am. I'm a Chicago kid. But my wife and I, we recently just got, we got back from uh, San Francisco. We were visiting our friends and our family over there, our, our family, uh, a couple weeks ago. It was good to see them all, but I was uh, amused because uh, I was getting a reaction uh, 
towards me and uh, that I, I wasn't used to. I'm not sure whether it was, was because I had this really bright orange hoodie with the word Chicago on it, or maybe it was my Cubs hat or just the way I talked. But suddenly everyone was pointing out to me in San Francisco how Chicagoan I was and, or had become. Suzette jokingly said, that's just Abe returning back to his natural state of being. He's a citizen of Chicago, and that's, everyone was recognizing that. It's just who I am. And my gut tells me, I have a feeling that many folks have a very similar story. You know, you know when traveling used to be a thing, and, and thankfully it's becoming a thing, a thing again. I, I was talking to some Canadian friends. They tell me how they play this game, spot the American. Uh, it's always the loud ones, they would say. Suzette is from Singapore, and, and she's always able to immediately recognize a fellow Singaporean from that accent la. There, there just, some of you understand that. There are just some things about an individual that help recognize, help a person recognize their citizenship, where, where they're from, their, their homeland, because it's who they are. Today's passage, today's focus that I want to focus on is, is that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And the beloved of God are natives of Jesus' upside-down kingdom. Heaven is our homeland. And, 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 and we're called to make it obvious. We're, we're going to make it easy to spot the Christian by standing firm and running hard. Those are the two things I really want to focus on today from this passage. And I, I have to say this. I, uh, I'm not a runner. It's not that I have... Uh, it's not something I enjoy. I don't have anything against running. I kind of wish little bit that had the stamina, the legs to look cool and run up and down the 606 or along the lakefront. It's, it's just not who I am. And so I, I have to appreciate that Paul, even though this passage, it does conjure up images of running uh, a race. And, and my first point is to run hard to live as citizens of God's kingdom. But Paul doesn't really focus just on the running piece of this analogy. He, he focuses on the completing peace, the completion of something. See, in verse 12, Paul writes that we're to press on. Verse 13, he says that we're to strain forward. Verse 14, we're to press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ. So Paul, in this letter, is speaking to the effort on his part, on our part. Paul is saying that we need to, to work. We need to work out our, our salvation. I've mentioned this many times, and I'm going to say it again. Salvation is only by the redemptive work of Christ alone. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. So our call is to press on for the sake of our sanctification. Not the salvation, but sanctification. We work hard for the sake of our growth. We work out our salvation by the power of Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and it's our pleasure to do this because Jesus made us his own. We, we, we do this not because we have to. We do this because we want to. We want to draw nearer to our king, our savior. So in this passage, Paul's calling on us to press on, to keep on running hard, move forward in our devotion, in our, in our faithfulness. Because ultimately, we're not there yet. We're, in Philippians 1, 6, Paul points out that the race is not done. We, are keep, we must keep on keeping on until Jesus comes back to get us. Then we're done. Then the race is over. And the thing is, Paul does give us a strategy on how to press on, how to run hard, 
And it's in the second half of verse 13. Yeah, they agree. Verse 13 says this. At the end of it, it says, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straighting forward to what lies ahead. You know, I, I've learned something over the years about running a race. And it's not by experience. I, I don't know how to run it. But if you're in a race and you're running hard, sometimes looking back will make you stumble, will make you lose step. I've watched enough uh, videos from the Olympics to see these massive missteps as a result of just a passing glance over one's shoulder. Because you just got to keep your eyes on the prize, as they say. But I'll tell you, the way my mind works, uh, and maybe it's just because of my innate rebellious nature, the way my mind works is that I start thinking of all the examples where looking back is a, is a good thing. Like, like when you're driving a car, you want to look in the rear view mirror. It's a good thing, though you shouldn't look at the rear view mirror too long because if you linger, it looks like you're just being vain and looking at yourself and fixing whatever on your face. But, but when you're riding a car, driving a car, riding a motorcycle, on a bike, on a one wheel, you need to be aware of what's going on around you. So I, I say this, the Bible, Scripture, is always true and should always be taken in context. So Paul, in this analogy, he's absolutely right. Forget what lies behind you and run hard, strain forward towards Christ. But consider the context. Forgetting what lies behind you is not a call to forget the past. Paul's call to forget what lies behind you and to strain forward to what lies ahead is a call to forget the things that are going to hinder your faith and to remember the things that will heighten it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 13, Paul tells us to remember where we come from, to truly appreciate where we're going. Uh, verse 11 says this, So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. And at that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope. And without God in the world. But now, now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus tells the story of this guy uh, who, uh, who lent money to a few folks. And he points out that the person to whom, uh, who borrowed the most, they were going to love and appreciate the forgiveness of that debt much more because they will remember how much they've been forgiven. In John chapter 9, uh, there's a story of the Pharisees and they're questioning this formerly blind person that Jesus had restored uh, the eyesight to, his eyesight to. And the Pharisees are like, you know, the guy who healed you, he, he was a sinner, right? He was a bad person, right? And this formerly blind guy says this in verse 25, says, whether he was a sinner or not, I, I don't know. One thing I do know is this. That though I was blind, now I see. He, this blind, formerly blind person, remember where he's come from. But then, then there are passages like in Luke chapter 9, verse 61 and 62. It talks about, uh, it says, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say my farewell to those at home. And Jesus responded to him saying this, no one who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Because in that scenario, looking back at your past, it was going to risk 
uh, luring you back into an old life, into that from which you were being transformed by the power of God. That strategy, forgetting what lies behind you is a call to not forget the past. Forgetting what lies behind you is a call to forget the things that are going to hinder your faith and yet remember the things that will heighten it. That's how we are called to run hard, how, how we're called to, to press on. So here, here we are. We're called to, to make it obvious that heaven is our homeland, to make it easy to spot the Christian, first by running hard or, or pressing on. The second is by standing firm. And these really are totally opposite things, right? Running hard conjures images of going forward, uh, while standing firm, uh, it conjures images of just planting your feet. I, the image I have is like a dog not wanting to go up on an escalator, just, just not going to move. And, and I love that Paul uses these, these seemingly opposite analogies because it reminds the reader and the listener that the Christian life is one that intentionally includes both the physical and the spiritual. It, it includes the mental, the standing firm in our values and, and, and the manual, the running hard to Jesus. Verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. I, I like the Christian Standard Bible, by the way. And I'm going to read that uh, instead of the ESV. It says this. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord. Dear friends, we stand firm. We hold on to the values and the teachings of Jesus Christ in this manner. And, and the phrase in this manner, it requires us to look at the verses that were leading up to this sentence. We have to look back to see what manner Paul is actually referring to. And, and if you look back at verse 17, Paul says this, Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Stand firm. Hold fast to the teachings of Jesus by imitating me as I strive to hold fast, to, to stand firm in the teachings of Jesus. I'll say verses 18 and 19, they, they speak to the situation where uh, people don't hold fast. Those who, who don't stand firm in the Lord, and they're the ones that used to be in the body of believers. We, we thought they were like-minded, but they now live as enemies of the cross, and it breaks Paul's heart and he warns that a focus on the world over the cross, a focus on the passions of life or the passion of Christ, a focus on the imperfect versus the, the perfect, this is going to move people away from the call to stand firm in the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul writes this. He says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And then we have today's passage. He writes, join in imitating me. And I, uh, I'll tell you that my initial response as I was studying this passage is, wow, Paul is pompous. Because he really loves himself so much, he wants to create a bunch of, of mini-me's. Be like me. But uh, I'll be honest, it took me a second to ponder and consider the words, consider the context. And you real, I realized that the emphasis was not intended to be on the imitate me part. It really was intended to be on the imitate Jesus part. Because you see in verse 17, Paul tells the Philippians, keep their eyes on the examples of the multitude of others who are walking in faith, who are imitating Jesus. It's, it's not because 
we can do this. We, we can mimic the Messiah too. He says this because practically speaking, sometimes it's just easier to, fee- to, to follow real life examples. Those who are right in front of us to become more like Christ. In other words, we draw nearer to God by following godly examples in our lives who follow God. We, we also draw nearer to God. We stand firm by being godly examples, by being image bearers of the Almighty that others can imitate. So in other words, we disciple, we are discipled by being disciples. That leads me to the final point for today. And I'm trying to keep this uh, message a little short. I want to be able to reserve time to celebrate with our new members today. But as I said, the first thing is this. We run hard. And then we stand firm. The second thing. Because we want to make it obvious that the third thing, heaven is our homeland. To make it obvious that we are citizens of the upside-down kingdom of God. And the implication of this, of heaven being our homeland, is this. It means that our king, our leader, our our sovereign is there, not here. It means that our customs and our traditions come from there, not here. It means that our heart and our passions should come from there, not here. Verse 20 specifically calls this truth out. It says, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are citizens of heaven. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 tells us what that should look like. It says, and again, reading from the uh, Christian Standard Bible translation, says, a citizen of heaven, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Because heaven is our homeland, we are to live life according to the customs of our homeland. We're, we're to let heaven shape our culture. We're to, we're to be worthy uh, of the gospel. Strive to be more like Jesus. This is, this is the epitome of how we should be living. Because heaven is our homeland. And I want to explain something. The worthiness in this context is not saying that we're deserving. Really, the only one who's deserving of any glory is the Son of God. Just, our Savior is truly worthy. But if you turn to Acts chapter 26, verse 20, this passage also calls out what it means to be worthy. 26:20 says, um, let me get it from here. Instead, I preach to those in Damascus first and, and to those in Jerusalem and all the region of Judea and to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. So if worthiness does not mean we are deserving of, we're earning our glory, what does it refer to? And this is where we turn to Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. In Matthew 3, 8, John the Baptist proclaimed this, that uh, therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance, then later on in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 to 38, Jesus says this, the one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. We can't earn our redemption. So we can't ever really be worthy, deserving of salvation. When we are called to live worthy of the gospel, 
what we're called to do is called to value Jesus over all other things. Not, not that we're not going to fall or fail or stumble. Worthiness, see, is not a proclamation that we deserve salvation. Worthiness is a proclamation that the gift of God is something I love so much, appreciate so much that I'm going to live my life valuing it over everything else. That is what it means to be worthy of the gospel. If, if heaven is our homeland, then we will live lives that says, Jesus, you are my one and only. Jesus, you are my first and my last. Jesus, you are my king and I will follow you. If heaven is our homeland, we will live lives that imitate the Savior so that it's going to be obvious that we are citizens of heaven. But here's the thing. If, if we're all citizens of heaven, then what's the big deal about becoming a member of a church? Some, something we're celebrating today. What's the big deal? And I, I say this. That's a great question, and I will tell you right now. It is not that big a deal, but at the same time, it kind of is a big deal. Let me explain why. I think the first thing I need to do is explain or redefine the concept of, of a member. Because I will say that for any English-speaking American, this is the wrong word to use. But there really isn't a better one. Because the problem is that the term member, in today's context, it makes you think that you're buying a Costco membership or you're signing up for a gym or something like that. But that's not what we are talking about. Because for the Christian church, membership is a public proclamation of citizenship to the kingdom of God made at a local embassy of Christ. And that's what we are. We are citizens of God's kingdoms. We are, we are in a foreign land. And this church, the church of the beloved, is our embassy. This is where we proclaim and claim our citizenship to heaven. And the citizenship is not just given to anyone. Anyone who's gone through any type of immigration process knows that the requirements and the process to become a citizen is, is, is onerous. Ultimately, though, citizenship is affirmed by those who are verified by law, the ambassador, by the embassy's representatives. And, and once you proclaim your citizenship, you don't join an embassy. You, 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 you do submit to the authority of that local embassy that's been established by the king, but that embassy is now your protector as well. Sometimes uh, when you have to travel, and I've had to do this depending on where you're going, I've had to go to some places that are a little bit more dicey, and so I have to check in with my local embassy to tell them I'm there in case I disappear. Uh, if you're a foreign citizen in our church, I know that you've had to possibly, I know there are folks who travel out now because of COVID, have to travel out of the country to, a, to get a new visa, so you have to go to that embassy to deal with it. But going into the embassy, it's not a simple process. You have to make an appointment. You have to bring evidence of your citizenship. Uh, you submit to the rules that are in place at that embassy and in being enforced by the ambassador of that embassy. But after you've been affirmed as a citizen, you are afforded all the rights and all the benefits of citizenship. Entering into a covenant relationship with the church of the beloved is your opportunity to say, I am a citizen of the kingdom of God and, and is being affirmed by my local embassy. I will submit to the authority given by God to that local embassy and that authority will protect me. That authority will guard me. That embassy will care for me in times of trouble. That's what membership is about. See, we're called to run hard 
and to stand firm, to make it obvious that heaven is our homeland. And, and, and as foreigners in this world, as sojourners in this place, this church, the church of the beloved, is your local embassy, where we want to and are called to love you, to care for you, to rejuvenate you, to encourage you. Your local embassy, this church, is where you can also love, care, rejuvenate, and encourage each other. This is where our uniqueness as Christians, the values and the characteristics of our homeland, these will be lauded instead of laughed at. For me, coming back to Chicago has allowed me to return to my natural state of being. Getting, getting a dose of uh, Pequod's pizza, getting whipped around by polar vortexes and melted by the summer heat, living in a place where people finally understand that the do not walk sign is just a suggestion and that the intersection is just one place that you can cross the street. All these things, being in my homeland, it encourages me and emboldens me to live as a Chicagoan again, to be in my natural state. This local embassy this is your embassy of your homeland. This church is a place where we commit. We commit to because it's where we can come and be at home and be in our natural state. It is where we can return to our natural state as the beloved of God so that we can continue to run hard and stand fast in this world. It's where we gather so that we can be reminded that heaven is our homeland. We're going to close with prayer and then the worship team is going to lead us through a few more songs before we in, do our induction of new members for our church. Let's pray together, if you don't mind. Almighty God, gracious King, you are our God. You are the ruler of our homeland. And we want to make it so easy for the world to see us and recognize where our citizenship is. That we are citizens of your kingdom, God. That we are your beloved children. And that we are here temporarily ultimately waiting to come back home to you. Help us live lives that allows others to want to become citizens with us because heaven is our homeland. Almighty God, you are king. We worship and we glorify you with all that we are. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray.